He's alive. Amen. What an Easter season we're living in. Jesus is alive. Amen. Let's just uh, turn to the scripture, if you don't mind. Thank you, everyone. And for uh, maybe I'll just bring greetings after we read a scripture. And don't want to break the atmosphere. We just want to worship the Lord with you and uh, greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's just have a word of prayer before we uh, read the scripture together. Who would just lift up your hand and say, Lord, minister to me today. Our dear Heavenly Father, we're approaching the altar today. All of us, Lord, are looking face to face with you, Lord. We live in a wicked, dark hour. Some have served you for many, many years. Others are just maybe young or coming up nearer to you. But we pray that we would go together today. We know that we're in a public place, but Lord, we're asking for a secret place a private place with the Lord Jesus. Lord, if we could just get out of the way, all of us from the youngest to the oldest, and let the Lord Jesus come and connect with us individually. Lord, we are living in April, this time of the year when the resurrection seems to be more on the minds of your people. We have camp coming up that has been spent so many years serving the bride and giving out to others. This morning, Lord, we're making a little altar of our hearts and asking you to pour into us where we lack or what we need. Take this little assembly, Lord, and I pray the Holy Ghost would be very present, very near to us, that the pillar of fire that was with your prophet's ministry is right here in this meeting, vindicating, filling, confirming, blessing, and healing. Oh, Jesus, may we not be looking to one another, trying to impress someone else or be a fake or a facade. But, Lord, we want to be open to you and ask you, Jesus, to come and take control of this whole day. Fill up our cups, Lord Jesus. We invite you, Lord, to speak to every hand that's lifted up, every heart that is needy. We are needy people, Jesus. Take us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me read a quote with you of Brother Branham. If we could just share this out of uh, a message Brother Branham brought. Sister Amy, I think, is going to help us uh, put up the first slide. I just want to share with you a quote of Brother Branham. Yes. And now, dear Lord, as we go into the service to pray for the sick, may every person now with these words in their heart, may the Holy Ghost come. May Jesus walk into this building just now. May the great pillar of fire that led the children of Israel sway over this pulpit tonight come down and prove the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that people will be without an excuse then. Heal the sick tonight, Father. I wonder if we could say this morning, make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, the cripples to walk, cure the heart trouble, cancer, all different kinds of troubles. I like that. God, I pray you'll, you'll mend up the broken homes and make the ones that's in homes that's indifferent, fathers and mothers who doesn't pray, give them an experience tonight that they'll start a family altar at their home 
Grant it, Lord. In every church in the city, bless every church in the city. Oh, God, it was preaching this on a Saturday night. Let every minister be so equipped tomorrow, it's talking about Sunday, that he will preach like never before. And may an old-fashioned revival sweep through this city, Lord. May, and just may people come from everywhere to Shano here that they might know that Jesus lives and reigns. Grant it, Father. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful if the Lord would answer that today? Amen. We want to speak this morning on repairing your personal altar. Repairing your personal altar. And we can turn to uh, the scripture, 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, thank you, Sister Amy, for working with us this morning back and forth. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30. This is after the prophets, the false prophets of Baal, had gone through their exercises and things that finally Elijah, in verse 30, said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I want to thank God for a prophet, Elijah, Amen. that's come in our generation. Amen. And it took a prophet to repair the altar. How yes, many believe that? Amen. Not a, just a preacher. Not just another church doctrine was going to do it. It took a prophet. Amen. We have to believe that. Amen. And I believe that's been completed. The altar has been restored, Amen. public altar. Yes. But now we're talking about your altar, your private altar. That's what we're focusing on today. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order. This is like church order. He put the wood in order, cut the bullock in pieces, and laid the, him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. This was kind of ridiculous, wasn't it? Do you agree? You're about, you want fire. And you're pouring altar, water on the altar. One time, two times, three times. You're just drenching everything. To the carnal mind, it's crazy. They still think you're crazy. But watch Elijah as he was preparing this altar. And the water ran round about the altar. And he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou has turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. 
And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. How great is our God? I pray God consume the altar today. Consume us as believers. God bless you. You can have your seats. Thank you. So nice to be with you this morning. Nice to be able to see you face to face. I can see you from afar, but it's nice to see you face to face. And I bring you greetings from Brother Biscoe, uh, Brother Tom Ray, Brother Tim Dodd, Brother Murphy Wong, the, the ministry. Many friends at Cloverdale Bible Way send their love to you. They don't know I'm here today, a lot of them, but the ministry did. And uh, so the ministry personally wanted to send their love to you. And my father also and my family that, you know, it's been many, many years. Our family has come to uh, Easter camp. Our children, all three of our children have come through the camp. And my wife was a counselor there. One of the young ladies in the church saw me this morning with her husband. And she was in the camp some years ago. And now she had a birthday this last week, but she reminded us my wife was her counselor. Isn't it good to work together? Amen. So my wife is here today, Sister Sharon. God bless her. And we chose to come to Louisiana for our vacation. Is that incredible? I, I was sitting in Brother uh, Tim's little office today, and the rain was just coming down, coming down. I was thinking, this is my vacation. But I had no feelings of regret. I didn't have one twinge of, what are you doing here? I thought, I'm privileged and happy to be here today. So, God bless you. We're happy to share. And we appreciate our brother Tim Pruitt and sister Karen and their family, the assembly here, all of you, uh, many friends that we have in this church. And I don't want to begin to say names because I would miss someone, but you mean a lot to us. And uh, Easter a youth camp is coming up just in a couple weeks. And so this afternoon at 4 o'clock, we like to come back and share maybe a pre-camp service with you, if that's all right. Amen. Is that okay? If you want to come back at 4 o'clock, I just want to share something uh, just for the assembly and for the young people and all the workers as we prepare for Easter camp. I think it'll be a blessing to your heart. And, you know, we feel really small coming to uh, the church here to minister with Brother Tim. He's meant a lot to us over the years. I feel really small having Brother uh, Joe Adams and Brother Aaron Oglesby, Brother Tim uh, Pruitt and Brother Craig Boer that's uh, dear friends of ours in this assembly. And I really treasure them. And I'm looking forward to the day when there's going to be an announcement of that great eternal youth camp. Amen. Amen. An eternal holiday. As last Sunday, one of the brothers, I think Kelly Hildebrandt, was going to the hospital and had a high blood pressure troubles. And there was another brother in our church that has cancer, and he's in his 70s. And I was sharing with them both this week about how that I felt like, Brother Tim, it was maybe the new body just colliding with their natural body. The change is on. And we have these groanings and we have these things that we're going through as believers, but it's a reality. That change is right around the corner. And we just pray, as it says in Psalms, that we would be able to live this life of this word so that our children and our grandchildren now would be able to want what we've got. 
And this is a burden of our hearts as we came this weekend. And one word stood out in my heart, and that was the word personal. And we spoke on it in Cloverdale on Wednesday night, but I want to bring it this morning and speak on repairing your personal altar. And as we go back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18 uh, together and look at this, are we ready for the word now? Elijah was called to repair the altar. And it took a prophet of God in our day to build an altar that's gone global. I just want to remind you today that you're not just a little church in, in the road in the hills of Louisiana. Your testimony has gone global. I want to remind you that you're part of this altar. It's not just a private altar. It's a public altar. But I was thinking as the Holy Spirit was coming into the room this morning to prepare us for the word, as even as Brother Tim said, the presence of God come. It's more than just a public altar now. It's a private altar. And for many, many years, I was thinking this morning as one that's been raised in the message and have gone now through many cycles and years now that our children and our younger ones and those that are coming to the Lord, they deserve an atmosphere that is charged with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that all of us, God would not crown our lives to be just some old, crabbed individuals or a church that is, because we've heard this for years, it becomes common. They deserve to have it fresh again. But let's bring it down personal today. Let's repair our personal altars, because we could talk global. We could talk about a church altar We could talk about a family altar. We could talk about a marriage altar. But I want to speak to you personally about your personal altar. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. But it was a public altar. Many around were seeing this great demonstration and it seemed kind of crazy about pouring water on the, on the sacrifice and on the wood and on the stones. But the fire of God came down and vindicated, this is God. That's happened globally in the message. But if we're not careful, we can get caught up in that and miss out the personal altar. So what we see in 1 Kings 18 And verse 32 was him taking stones to build an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar. This was a public altar. We have testimonies. Our testimonies public. Our service and our calling in life is to the public. But now let's turn to the next chapter. 1 Kings chapter 18 verse, sorry, verse 19. God brought Elijah to a private altar. And we see in 1 Kings 19, and and many of you are familiar with this in verse 9, how God brought Elijah to a cave, and he began to lodge there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars. And slaying thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, he had a public altar of God coming and consuming him, but he still had an attitude and a thought that he was the only one going through the trial. 
I'm the only one. I'm the only marriage that has troubles. I'm the only family that has troubles. I'm the only church in the message. Or why is these things going on? But God was bringing him to an awareness that there's 7,000. If you look in verse 18, God was letting his prophet know after a personal encounter that there was 7,000 in Israel that had not bowed their knees or bowed unto Baal. And every mouth which had not kissed him. So even after the public altar, God deals privately. Can God do that this morning? Now it's this afternoon. Can God do that for you? That might be approaching things through a public way and a public and you got to be worried about how you're dressed and how's my hand lifted up and if I do that, my shirt is going to come up. And Are we so interested in how we look that we can't bend down and pick up the stones today? Say, God, repair my own personal altar. Take something from the Word of God that will help us in our daily life. And if you look here in verse 11... Elijah goes out and stands before the mount before the Lord and the Lord passed by with a great wind and it rent the mountains. And then you see later in the verse, the wind, after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. He's in a cave. He's in a private place. The song leader isn't around. It's not your spouse around or the counselor. It's not the preacher. It's a personal encounter. God was bringing him from the public show, we would say, and the fire coming and all of the dynamics to now it's personal. This is where we're going right now. To where the still small voice can mean something to him. And I trust today that would happen for somebody. Lord, turn it from just being a public thing to it's private. Shake us, Lord, from just doctrine and code and church order to where it's personal. And that's what happened in verse 12 and verse 13. That is when Elijah heard it and wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and God began to speak to him. And verse 14, he is actually the very verse of verse 10 and 14 are just repeated word for word. That he thought, Elijah thought he was so jealous for the Lord and things. And he had saw the people in the message or the children of Israel casting down their altars and slaying the prophets. And he thought, oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And now they want to take my life. But it wasn't that way. There were more believers that were serving God, that were wanting this also. God just had to open his eyes. And now you're old enough now as a mature bride. As we heard this morning, our prophet would have been older, but God took him off the scene in 65. God needed a bride that would want a personal encounter with him. And I wonder today if we could just make it a prayer. God, give us a personal altar today. Be personal to me. Can we say that together? Be personal to someone else that is needy of a personal touch. Hallelujah, Jesus. Let's speak about this word altar. Can I do that just a little bit? I need to relax a little bit. When we talk about an altar in the Old Testament, it was a place of worship. 
It was a place where there was maybe called tables and things. They had benches and slabs. They, they actually called it a platform that they put up. It was called an altar. And an altar was where they slaughtered and they killed and they sacrificed. It was like divine judgment. It was actually, they took, they were showing pre, pre that Christ was going to come and die on a cross on an altar. But as we move into the New Testament, after all of these slains and burnings and Christ coming on an altar, when you and I receive this Christ on the altar, then the fruit of his death can come out of our lives. That's the altar I'm speaking of today. So this morning I'd like to take uh, these three parts of the service on repairing and then your personal and then your altar. What is an altar? Would that be okay? And I want to speak about repairing because repairing means it's something that you used to have before. To repair means you used to have something, but it's broken down. There's a renewal that God is declaring. And God is repairing and asking you to pick up some rocks and pick up your own altar as an individual. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's given you a fresh beginning or an experience, something that has been broken, but you've got to do something. Bring it into your own self. It's personal means it's not someone else's experience. Maybe, Sister Amy, you could put up that slide that I had there at the beginning of our opening scripture. How many is thankful for the springtime? Hallelujah. You're thankful for the springtime. I put this picture. My wife actually took this photo of looking down a long road out of our our house because it's showing that their springtime has come. Brother Daniel Williams always loved this time of the year in Louisiana because you see the lilacs and you see the different flowers. And you see after we've gone through a summer and through a fall and through a, uh, a winter that there's a spring again. And it ought to give faith to every believer that there will be another spring. There will be another cycle. You're just going through a cycle, brother or sister. There will be another springtime for you. It won't always be winter. It won't always be cold and indifferent. There will be another time when you rejoice again. And your desert shall bloom again. Hallelujah. That situation is not for your end. It's for the glory of God. You're just going through a cycle. I almost preached on Easter and the resurrection season. Don't you feel it that we are in the resurrection season? Let that which is dead in your life come forth. When you hear about the altar, make it a personal altar. So it's not the pastor's altar. It's not the preacher or a friend. It's you that God wants. Personal. I just have that on the screen there for personal because person is part of personal. It's a personal thing. And as I thought about this service and what the Lord would have it to us to bring, there was that one word of personal. Because it has to do with the individual, your own altar. It's special to you. It's something that is a person that's up close, that's up near. It's become dear. It's a specific person. It's not to the group. 
It's not just for everyone else. Have we failed the people to make it just for the crowd and the group? And we want everyone, and we want to speak in a way that will impress the preachers or sing in a way that will impress the masses, or is it personal? I believe if we came personal, the Lord could consume our lives, consume our church altar, consume our marriage altar, our family altars. Lord, make it all new again for us. Brother Branham spoke the, the seals through the March time, and, and he, it just made the Bible become a new book to him. Some of us need that again. We need the Bible to become fresh again. The house of God to become fresh again. I, I'm speaking to believers that I know believe the message. Can we make that a prayer today? God, become personal to me. So to be personal is opposite than just to make it public. It's personal. And I was thinking of God and his word and his presence. And there's things about God that are private, that are personal. That today we ought to feel so happy that God has sent us a message that has revealed personal things with God. That when the Bible says, I have not seen or ear heard, neither hath it entered into the hearts of men. People stop right there. But the next verse says, but God has revealed them to us. Hallelujah. I begin to think of this and how that when Brother Branham talked about the third pool and the opening of the word in Jeffersonville, that there was a promise under the third pool that it would not be a public show. And he began to talk about a great big tent. Who's familiar with this? Well, Brother Branham talked about the third pool, and he saw a big tent, and he said it was packed and lined everywhere with people. And I walked out, and it looked like I was standing above the people, looking down where I had just made an altar call. And hundreds and hundreds of people were weeping and rejoicing after they had accepted the Lord Jesus as their Savior. How many love to be in that atmosphere? Where people are receiving the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. Where the Holy Ghost is coming and falling on individuals. Vindicating their surrender. Vindicating their letting go. They're repenting. And God just comes down and begins to do wonderful things. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, to be around when the healing angel comes by a person. I just thank God for that. As I was streaming the service and saw Sister Alana Butts begin to run through this sanctuary and run through here, the healing angel came by this little sanctuary. Our hearts begin to rejoice and be happy. But I don't want to stop there. That's not just personal. That puts something in a believer saying, I need a healer. That's my healer. When I see God heal a teenager, touch a mother, touch a father. Like our brother Ron Cauley years ago. And to have a prayer answered of a family and of a, of a mother and of, of young people that want their daddy shaved. And now to have him singing and have the glory of God blessing people publicly. But it took a private encounter of God getting a hold of a heart. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, that's not just in the Bible. That's God coming down. That's making it personal to where someone else can say, God can do that for me. Can I go a little further? Brother Branham was looking down on the tent and he was looking down and seeing people go in there and coming out healed, seeing them delivered. And he was wondering about that. And I heard a man say, call the prayer line. So altar calls and prayer lines seem to be surrounding the opening of the third pool. And people begin to line up on this side and the left from where I was standing, going down the platform. They lined up all the way up and down the street for a prayer line. I noticed to my left, which would have been to my right, on on the platform, a little wooden building. And I seen that light that they've seen the picture of, you know, that's always in the meetings. I seen that light leave me and go into that building. And go into that building and a voice said to me, I'll meet you in there. That'll be the third pull. And Brother Branham said, why? He said, well, it won't be a public show like the other. And then Brother Branham said, I come too. So Brother Branham was describing the first pull and the second pull about how it was public. But the third pull, the opening of the word, was not going to be a public show. It was going to be something personal, something for the individual. But once it happens privately, it becomes public. How many has thought it so amazing that around the world, the first pull, he would take them by the hand publicly and begin to know the secrets of their heart, say their disease, and there had to be a connection. It was so powerful. Then the second pull was him knowing a person's name and their address and their need, what was going through their past and their present. Have you ever thought about how personal that was? How personal our God is. When I felt to come this weekend, there was one word kept just coming into my heart and I had to let it out in Cloverdale a little bit on Wednesday. Forgive me. It's for this morning. Our God is a personal God. And he demonstrated that in the first pool and the second pool. It was public. You lady back there, your name's Anita, and you're married to this person and that person, and, and you live here, and, and you, you live at this certain address, and oh, people right behind her would say, oh no, he missed it there. And then to find out later, they had just moved the day before. Oh, our God knows everything. The name, the address, your personal identity has been released. And publicly he began to pronounce that. But the voice said in that third pool, it won't be a public show. I want to say today about this personal God. He's not distant and way out there. Are we believers today? He's not a grandfather with a big beard, aged, just looking over the banister, observing us this morning on April the 7th. He's not looking over the banister like that. He's not way beyond the stars and out in some galaxy. God is present right in this room right now. He's so personal. Yes, he knows your name, your address, what you're going through, but it's much deeper than that. Can I get some of you to come into the third room? But it's not a public show. It's not for everybody else. 
It's for you. God is so personal that he's not far away. He's right in this room right now. And he brought a channel like a radio, uh, like an antenna called a prophet that would be able to know and be able to see, oh, it gets milky over here. Somebody over here and was just calling on God. I was listening to a tape this week and Brother Branham, it was at the end of a service right after the seals. And Brother Branham, you could just hear the people responding. He's just waiting, waiting on God. And the Holy Spirit was just waving through the building. All of a sudden, a sister just stood up and began to respond with her hand like this. And he said, when that sister did that, it was the Holy Spirit coming by her way. You've been in enough meetings. You know when something different is happening. It's because now it's personal. We don't want an impersonal God. We don't want to become a church or a family or a person that puts God somewhere else. We want him to be personal. Stay with me, friends. People don't want a private God that will expose themselves. You can come in the front room or you can come into our doctrine or come into our dress code or come into just the foyer, but don't go any further. No, no. God came into the front door to come to your private life. Can you say amen to that? We don't want a God that we cannot touch. He's untouchable. He's out there somewhere where we make altars to the unknown God. Well, Brother, it's just there. And you, no, no, no. We want a God that we can touch. Paul said it like this about a high priest that is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. As you grow in Christ, it should become more dearer. He can be touched. I just want to give him praise today by my faith in the sanctuary to say we have a high priest that can be touched with the feeling of what we're going through, what our children are going through, what our young people are going through. Do you realize we are 30 years this year of this church having the camp out at Dry Creek? From 1989. It started in 1987. But 30 years now, you have given of yourself and your Easter season for God to become personal. Have you ever thought about why this year, within two or three weeks, it was just totally full? And the motels and everything, people are booking what it's going to be like this year. Why hasn't it gone from... 800 to 700 to 500 to 200 where it's just your young people and a few more. Why? It's because God has become personal to literally thousands around the globe. This generation is hungry to have a God become personal to them. Not just quoting the words of a prophet or reading a scripture, but having a burden that that word would become reality. Become tangible, God. We could go and we could take a lot of time. We could talk about the altar that Noah had, that Abel had, 
that Jacob had. When you look into the Bible, it speaks about how they built an altar unto the Lord. Moses had an altar. Do you remember Abraham and Isaac? Isaac was on an altar. Do you remember that? In the Old Testament, Aaron and the, pro- the priest worked around the altar. Keep the altar open. That was actually their duty and their ministry is to work around the altar. They had an altar of incense. They had the burnt offering. They had the brazen altar. They had the altar of brass. They had the altar of gold. The Bible speaks about blood on the altar, fire on the altar. Do you remember that? And there was to be a light continually. Keep the lamp going. And in the days of Eli, sin had come into the message so much, the lamp of God went out. Their eyes become dim. Sin came in unto where the, the very worship in the church became a stench to the people. God, may it never return back to us, to our marriages, to our families, or this church where we allow the altar to become just something that God doesn't even want to be there. Where we just put in time and put in a little songs and hear a little message where we lose interest, we lose attention, we lose love. I say, God, if that has happened to me or to us, let us repair the altar today. Let us say, God, restore unto me. Restore unto us. Bring back the new again. Bring back the freshness again. Can you say that today? Lord, I want to know you personal. Put it in my heart, God. The altar speaks of dedication and you giving an offering. The Bible speaks about the charge of the sanctuary and the charge of the altar. There was something called the charge of the altar and it was placed into the hands of the Levites and of the priests to keep this charge. When you look in Joshua's day, is everybody's attention? Joshua and, and and that bringing that into the new generation The altar is associated with the new land, which is a type of the Holy Ghost. So when you look in the days of Joshua, they built an altar. The the altars of Baal was false gods. And the Jehovah God never came down and vindicated that altar. It was the one true living God that when Elijah prepared it, God came down. How many's ever heard a phrase? The horns of the altar. Just lift your hand. You've heard of the horns. It comes from the Bible where they had horns that was literally on the ark and on the mercy seat that if someone in trouble, someone that was in desperation could run in and grab a hold of these horns and say, God have mercy. I want grace. I'm in trouble. And they would run into the temple and they would fall on an altar and grab a hold of these. I tell you, I pray that never leaves us, Brother Tim. I pray the horns of the altar would be always available. I understand what I'm saying right now. In many places, that's been gone. That's shunned. 
They don't want an altar. They don't want tears. They don't want repentance. They just want a little service and let's go have lunch. Our stomachs are calling. You know, we've got schedules. Maybe God wants to break that schedule. I don't want to be too long today, but we do. An altar speaks of death, sacrifice, giving of yourselves. We have it so good today. There's been an attraction to the anointed ministry for the bride of Christ. It's like you can just go and listen. And they've been laying in the word for hours. They've been studying and making sure they're saying exactly what the prophet said. We can come in and my, it can be such an inspiration. Do you know that is only the first room? You live in a three-room house. And the kitchen is the church. It's a public place. That's where we come and feed off of the word. And can you believe it? People become so casual about that altar. Then the second room is like a parlor, like a living room. You you go from the kitchen and then you go into the parlor. You kind of talk a little bit more, share a little bit. How's your business going? How's your school going? I I really appreciate that, brother, and what you're going through. Oh, your school is ending. Oh, in May. Oh, you're graduating in May. What, What are you studying? Oh, it's engineering. And you get to know people on a, in the parlor, in the, living, in the living room. We can share about Christ and what he's done in your life. I look up and see Sister Amy, just newly married. As Brother Tim said, this is a reflection of what the message can produce. Young people that can go for years and be tested and tested and wonder, if, is there ever going to be anyone? And God just crowned their lives right before the rapture. Say, how much time do we have left? I don't know. But God still has private altars that become public. I would encourage you this, this afternoon that if God is leading you to the horns of the altar, if there's something in your heart to say, I am wrong, uh, forgive me, God, find a place. The altar speaks of surrender. It speaks of you admitting I am wrong. I want to get into that in just a little bit. Let me just go back to David and Solomon and the temple spoke of the altar. Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles repaired the altar. So it wasn't just a major prophet, but it's now other minor prophets. Isaiah prophesied about the altar. Can you put Joel... Chapter 1, verse 13 up and see that even in the book of Joel, how that it was a place that the ministry was to bring this altar before the people and there was a crying out at the altar. It's not just a half hour of silence. It's actually there's something in you crying out. Joel 1, 13. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests. How, ye ministers of the altar, come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of our God, or what the people need to overcome is being withholden. Shh, be quiet about it. Don't say anything about that. No, no, cry out. 
Can you go to Joel 2, verse 17? You can read this later when you go home, but Joel 2, 17 speaks about this also, about the ministry and the ministers. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? We ought to bring this right into this morning service. As Moses, God spoke to Moses and said, just step back, I'll destroy the whole group. And it was Christ in Moses that stood in the way and said, no, Lord. Look at what you did to bring them out of Egypt. Look at all their testimonies and what you did. Lord, if you destroy them, then what will the enemy say? That you were not able to keep them in the time of wilderness and fulfill your word and bringing them into the land. Brother Branham said that was Christ in Moses. Amen? Oh, we had it in our day of Brother Branham speaking the seven, actually it was the lamb that broke the seven seals. And then as they went through the summertime, Brother, Brother Middleton, and they came up to September, Brother Branham preached the token. And then desperation. And he said that was the message to follow the opening of the seven seals as far as a message to preach. So there are messages to follow the opening of the word. That is to get personal with the people and their families. Is the message getting through this morning? Bring the opening of the seven seals, the third pull, and bring it down to the families so the daddies can apply it literally. The mothers can know. The young people can know. When they hear and they see the dark clouds coming through the town, destroying their friends. Oh, where is that young person? Where is that young lady? Oh, they were overtaken. Sister Amy, can you put up that scripture again, Joel 2, 17? What is the ministry supposed to do when this happens? Are we supposed to be quiet about it? Don't say anything about it. No, there is to be a crying out. Spare thy people, O God. There must be an understanding that the new generation is going through 10 times what we went through. There must be an understanding that the word has got to connect with them. Amos spoke about this. Thank you, Sister Amy. Zechariah, if you could bring back up that slide. Zechariah spoke about the altar. Do you know that Malachi spoke about the altar? Let's bring it into the New Testament quickly. Paul in Hebrews 13 verse 10 said, We have an altar. Because some would say, Oh, that's Old Testament. Christ is our altar. Amen. Amen? Paul said, We have an altar. In Revelations chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible says there's souls under the altar, under the fifth seal, souls under the altar. Later in the book of Revelations, there's voices that come out of the altar. So from Genesis to Revelation, it speaks of an altar. Can I bring it now to this morning to us as believers? We've got to have a personal altar. I pray God would touch our hearts as believers. 
more and more as we see the day approaching that our services and our meetings would have God connecting with hearts. Our prayer life, if you're making notes, is part of our personal altar. You say, I don't even hardly have one, Brother John. I really don't know what you're talking about. God, restore our prayer life. Pick up that rock that's fallen off and do something today and say, God, I want that to be restored in my life. Can we do that, friends? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Repairing the altar. Bringing it back to where it ought to be. Not a public show. But for you as a person to say, I need that more in my life. Let's be real today. Brother Brenham said, you ministers and you pastors know that you don't pray as much as your fathers did. He said, you mothers and fathers know you don't pray like your mother and your father did. You know what? We just need to say that's the truth. And don't get all condemned about it. Just lift up the rock today and say, God, I want that place to become more dear to me. What about the Word of God? We, we know it's true. We know it's read your Bible and pray every day. But friends, have we lost something? Come on. Yeah. Say, Brother John, it's true. I hardly read my Bible. I hardly get into the message myself. Pick that rock up today. Just pick it up. It's just a little rock, a little scripture. You got five minutes. You got ten minutes. You got half an hour. You listen to the news. Or you read this newspaper. Or you look at that article. Or it's just silent in your home. God's given you the opportunity to listen to a word. Listen to a message. What about our personal surrender and our dedication? I want to rebuild that today, Lord. Surrounding our lives with the right atmosphere. You have a choice of your friends. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. <laughs> Amen. So if you say, I'm building the altar, then get around people that love God and are positive. And let me encourage you, you be a positive person. You only have one life. I'm speaking about an altar today. Say, that's not always fun and games up on an altar where there's blood and screaming and crying. You're exactly right. But there can be more of a sacrifice of praise. Even when you don't feel like it. Like maybe Paul and Silas in in a prison cell. They'd been whipped and whipped. They could have got grumpy and texting one another. How do you feel? How do you feel? Man, I'm hurting. Oh, man, he got into the muscle on that one. They were praising. They were shouting. But we've received the third pull. We've gone through the ages now and the opening of the word. Then there ought to be some men and women that might feel like they're in the stocks financially or emotionally or health-wise. It just is going. But there ought to be a praise. You say, I don't know, Brother John. You're preaching way out there. I'm coming right down to you. God can create that and give you a love for the things of God. That's personal. 
What about the body of Christ and the people of God that we should love? And daily living in his presence and walking in a love affair. Do you know that from Genesis to Revelation, over 300 times the word altar is mentioned in the Bible? Brother Branham mentions the word altar 2,488 times in the message. Is that a lot? Amen. That's almost two times per message. If you take 1,200 messages, 2,488 times he mentions the word altar. That's twice per message. He believed in an altar. In fact, from 1947 all the way to communion message, in the communion message 1212, his last recorded words, he mentions the altar. His last service of leadership that he preached, Brother Bradham had an altar call. It, it, It has to do with the opening of the word. His last, think about this, his last duties as a prophet was to have an altar call and then have communion. His last message in Jeffersonville, which was where his church was and he felt at liberty in Satan's Eden. Do you know that the Bradham Tabernacle, which is where I was born and raised, it was so packed out of people when Brother Bradham was there. Chairs all the way up to the front. They were sitting on the altar. And you hear Brother Branham said, there's not room here for an altar call, but make your heart an altar. Who's ever heard that before? You say, did Brother Branham believe in altar calls? Right up to the very last service of Satan deed, and it's so packed out, and, and, and the platform's packed out, the baptistry's packed out. You listen to the end of that message. His last service in the Bradham Tabernacle. He's making it a public altar. He said, you pray for me and I'll pray for you. There's something sacred about this altar that speaks of surrendering. I'm not doing exercises today, but I wonder if you could take both your hands and just go like this. Some of you have notes and you're right, but surrender. It means I gotcha. It's a military term for just give up. I pray our messages become more than words only and just teaching or talking or just describing things on an overhead and to where we just leave with no personal altar. And we'll carry this over to tonight's service, but you can actually go to a church altar or a public altar and never make it to a personal altar. You can get caught up under emotion or caught up under something and it just doesn't last. You wonder why? It never became personal. We've been born and raised in the message, Brother John. We've seen the cycles of people preaching the message, song leading the message, choirs in the message and churches. And a few years go by, those same people are out in the world. They went away from their personal altar. Or some would say they never even knew Christ. They never even had the Holy Ghost. Is that incredible? People that were delivered from smoking and drinking and gave testimonies where you don't don't even feel like your testimony is, you don't have a testimony when they give their testimonies. Is that true? Who's ever felt like that? I mean, some people, they're just so way up in the heavens and you look, and then a few years go by and they're just 
right? And, and there's just still something in your heart. Go on with God. Go on with God. And people collapse. Family leaves. I want to encourage you today. Find a personal altar where you can wrestle it out with God. Is our God great? Is our God mighty? He's not way out there. He's a personal God. It's a place of yielding and dying out where spirits leave. Carnality and unbelief is laid up on the altar. I remember when I was in a camp service and we were in a camp meeting in a great big tent and the lights went out in the building. The power went off. I didn't care. I was a young man sitting back this way here and I just leaned forward in my chair and the preacher kept on preaching and I tried to find a little flashlight. That was before the days of iPads and all that where they could just keep, it was, you know, they had their notes and trying to bring up Brother Joe Waldner. I remember him running up there with a little microphone or a little flashlight. You remember that, Sister Kathy? And they're trying to get a, a light to the preacher so he could keep preaching. No, it's totally black. He just keeps preaching, preaching. And when they made an altar call, Brother John was the first one to the altar. But it was so packed out and full that not one minister ever prayed for me. A counselor didn't pray for me. My mother didn't come up. My father didn't come up. My friends didn't come up. I was so close, Brother Joe, and it was just packed around me. I go back to that and I say, it's not just the preacher. It's not just my friend. It's not my spouse. It's getting a hold of God. We need those experiences. Don't get me wrong, friends. It can happen in your house. I'm speaking about a private, personal altar. It's not a public show. It can happen in the public, but the main thing is find a personal place. I believe it's good for ministers to pray for others and spouses and loved ones and friends. I believe in that. Don't get me wrong. I see some of you looking at me, wondering where I'm coming from. Well, I came from heaven, and I'm going back to heaven. We've been through this so long. It's more than words and quotes and all of that. It's finding a God that's personal. If you really want to get down to the bottom line, that's the need. If people could just connect with Jesus. Do you believe that? The altar is a place of prayer. And I want to say this maybe to take something off of someone's shoulders. Just because someone comes to the altar don't mean that they're backslid. Some people have it in their minds. Oh, if I go forward, that means there's sin in my life or I'm backslid or, oh, there there goes that person. They must be sinning. The altar is more than just for backsliders. It's for worshipers. It's to be a place of prayer. It's to be for a place that, for a person that needs prayer. They want to move out of the normal. Move out of just me bringing my children to church and worried about their diapers and their their little graham crackers and, oh, I got to take care of my baby. It's a mother. It's a daddy that knows I have personal spiritual needs. I've seen it before. I've seen mothers hand off their babies and go walking down to the altar. 
I've heard about the, the nursery becoming a place where mothers get away and they talk and they chat and they, they're connected to one another, blah, 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 what's going on? Friends, I pray that wouldn't happen here. The sanctuary ought to be a refuge and a place that our children and our young people, that they're not encouraged to leave the sanctuary. Daddies and mommies just always walking around and having a, another place in the fellowship hall. I hope I'm not stepping on nobody's toes, but I hope I'm stepping on somebody's toes. It almost gets to a place where little children, they want to be bad and cry so they know they can leave. And they can get out of here. It's nothing but the devil. When the altar ought to be a place and your altar of your heart ought to be a sanctified place. And, right. <laughs> let's blow off the dust of the day right. and the cares of life. Yeah, yeah. And can I help you, Brother Adams? <laughs> let's blow off some of those devils and demons. Devils come and lie to our young ladies through the week and bring depression and suicide. We are under authority of the Holy Spirit to cast out those devils. Before the person even reaches the altar, there ought to be enough power in our words to scatter off those devils. There ought to be weeping and crying, lifting of hands. men and women cry in the pews where they cry out to God and say it's me God I've been an unfaithful father I've been an unfaithful wife my hands are unclean I feel like putting them in my pocket or in my purses but the Holy Spirit just washing just cleansing it's like you saying I'm unworthy I'm little I'm embarrassed it's like I'm so ashamed the Holy Ghost coming to your altar, taking out demons, rooting up complexes. Right while you hear the word. It's like the power of the word. Is there a people that want to move out from just being natural into the supernatural? Sometimes it's a person that doesn't just want to say a prayer they need to pray a prayer. Do you know the difference? You say a prayer, and you go along, you come in, you go out, same desire, same lack of love, same moving, just the same old prayer. No, there's a person that finally gets to the place, I want to pray a prayer. I don't care who's preaching today. I don't care what's going on in the church. There might have been a distraction on the way to church, or last night, or Friday. Where are those people that begin to cry out to God? Do you know in the Branham Tabernacle, Brother Branham in church order talked about people coming to the altar and praying before the service. And, and Brother Daniel Cross, he's already left, but he said he remembers that years ago as a young boy before the service coming to the altar and his father would come up and the little boys would come up and pray with their daddies. You know what? If we had the altar call at the beginning of the service, then we had the singing and the preaching, what would our services be like? Yes, 
If we had men and women not just come forward, but in their pews, they begin to say, God, I need you today. Out of an altar. Amen. What if they got their sins under the blood? They knew that they needed more. Or they started to say what Brother Brenham said. Revelation is the greatest thing we should be crying out for. Cry out for revelation. God, just bow your head and say, Lord, I need more revelation. At the start of the service. How many times has the Holy Ghost fell in a meeting? And within a half hour, Brother Middleton, within just a half hour, people go out, they talk, they do it, they talk in the parking lot, they go home, and the whole atmosphere is lost in an hour. Who's ever seen that before? Oh, nobody has. I'm sorry. We've all felt that before. We've seen God talking directly to a situation. This is real deep today, isn't it? I'm just pulled between tonight's service because I want to speak tonight on impacted by the wine and oil. When you and I was like that person that was going down life's road and Satan wanted to rip us and tear us and break us up. But there came by someone that poured in oil and wine. They poured in the Holy Ghost. They poured in some stimulation that got us up on our feet again. And we were taken to the inn, to the church. And the Holy Spirit spoke to the ministers and said, take care of them until I come back again. And if there's anything lacking, I'll make it up then. That's why we're unselfish. That's why we're willing to pour out our lives. Because our reward is not here. Let's all say here. It's not here. It's over there. And I want to speak personally to this assembly as we come up to the Easter camp and the young people's meetings. How that God has poured in oil. Is it okay, Brother Tim? To prepare you. God's poured in oil in your life and wine into your life. Then we have a responsibility for others to create an atmosphere for somebody else that is crying out, that is needing. Say, why do you preachers preach under such intensity? Why are you so burdened? I'll tell you something that happened to me, not this last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. Can I be personal? I'd heard in the morning about 9-11, September 11th, 2001, and about the audio voices and the recordings of people that were inside the World Trade Centers. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You older one, 9-11-2001. And the world saw an outside view of these airplanes crashing into these two buildings. And it was horrible and horrible and flames and, and another uh, airplane crashing into the planes. Flight 93 crashing into the field and killing more. But what I heard was now as we saw the outside, but there were thousands of men and women on the inside that were trapped. And I heard the audible voices of them calling 911 and calling 911. There there was over 
3,000 calls in the first 10 minutes. It flooded the 911 center. I heard answering machine messages of people calling their spouses and calling homes. This is their last recorded words. Their last recorded words. I listened to Kevin Cosgrove, his last words. He was on floor 105. And he's leaving a message with the 911 operator. We're young men. We're not ready to die. I need oxygen. There's three people with me. And you hear him talking back and forth with a 911 operator. And then you see they've got it time-coded in a video. And the whole tower just collapses. And his phone goes dead. I heard Melissa Doey on floor 83 of the World Trade Center. She said, I've got five people with me in the office. Called a 911 operator. Said, I'm having trouble breathing. I'm going to die, ain't I? And the operator said, ma'am, 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 say your prayers. Stay calm. Stay calm. She's screaming, help, help. I hear voices. This is Melissa's voice inside the trade tenor. Can't you stay on the line with me? No. She's saying to the operator, stay on the line with me. She's grabbing a hold of somebody that's alive. Then she said, I think I'm dying. As the oxygen and the smoke overtake her. I heard the voices of air traffic controllers wondering why this is all happening. Wonder why Flight 93 is going away and then crashing. I heard the last words of the lead terrorist in the airplane screaming, it's okay, it's okay. I'll say this. Right before he was placed into the regions of the lost. Thinking by a false god he was going to have all these virgins and all this if you just kill these certain people. He had believed a lie. Now he's in an airplane saying to all these people, you hear his last words, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, stay in your seats. I want to say today we serve a God that's greater than all of those lies. How can we disbelieve the lie, the, the, Satan? Satan comes in and gives lies. I think we need to push them off today when God, so rich in mercy, has given us a message. I heard the last words of the people in the Flight 93 that was crashing in the field. Is this okay? I'm just a minister in my study on a Wednesday getting ready to preach, and I was listening to some of this. I was weeping. I was crying. I had to fall on my knees before God. You're not worried about everybody else and the deacon and the priest. It's like me, oh God. We don't know if we're in a service. It's our last time. And this isn't emotion, by the way. This is reality. And I think sometimes, what is it going to take to shake us to reality? Where men and women can come into the presence of God and be smitten with his presence. The last words of the whole plane screaming as they crashed into the field. I heard uh, Trade Center B, which is the second tower, voices saying, I want you to know that I love you and I'm stuck in this building. The last words coming out of there to a family member, I want you to know that I love you and I'm in this building. 
and I think a bomb has gone off. They didn't know what would happen. You can hear it from the September 11th attacks and many people tried to make contact and leave messages. Their final words to loved ones. I actually heard parents of the deceased speak about their son or their daughter speaking their last words that they heard on an answering machine. This is my last comment on this. There was one man that was a retired contractor and he hardly ever answers his phone because he said people just call him always wanting him to do things for free or help him out with this. But this morning he got a call at a certain time and this, that morning he picked up the phone. It was his daughter calling from the World Trade Center. And she's screaming and saying, he just calm down, calm down, tell me what's going on. And Oh, Dad, there's been a bomb go off in the building. What am I to do? What am I to do? And he flicks on the television and he sees it right there, two trade centers on fire. And he doesn't tell her, but he just begins to speak about to go to the nearest exit and go here and go down. And little did he know, but all the exits were closed over. It was the last time he spoke to his daughter. Her name was Melissa Hughes from Floor 101. Voices from within. Voices from within. We were watching the outside, but there was voices from within. And I wonder, Brother Tim, how many of us today are interested about the true voice from within of our people, of our loved ones, of our family, of even ourselves? that's crying out. And I pray God would shake us so that these things become more of a reality to us. Can this church agree with me today? Lord, make it more personal. Little did I know when I was preaching that night and sharing that with the church that just a few minutes before midnight, a husband and wife in the message we're just speaking just miles from the church just talking to one another and the sister goes into the washroom and she comes back out and her husband's already gone no pulse foaming at the mouth gone they call their family their family was uh, nurses and medical they do CP can you imagine doing CPR on your own father Call the daughter. She's also in the medical. They all come. Try to resuscitate their daddy. You talk about traumatic. Call the paramedics. It was over. By 1210, it was all over. Within just hours of a minister preaching this way, it was over for someone. That just happened, friends, in the last days. I say, God, help us as individuals to make this word more personal. And if you are where you need to be with God, we need to be more burdened for others that are around us. We need to shake off becoming so common with one another that we lose the feeling. Just this last week, I was communicating with a well-known minister in the message. He said, my heart is broken. Just on Friday, we heard firsthand testimony 
of a man in the message that was a pastor and was a minister of the gospel speak about a breakdown that he had. And my wife didn't even know, hadn't even told her, I knew myself before. Other ministers that have gone through breakdowns and because they're bearing your burdens. We need to be more aware that though our soul is in contact with God, we still have a body and a spirit. And we need to be more sensitive and personal with one another. Whether we don't lose the feeling with one another. I hope this is okay tonight because someone would say, oh, just take us to the third pool, taking us to the opening of the word. I'll say this. If a person has that kind of revelation from the word, they will have a personal altar. That produces an altar in their lives. And if it doesn't, something is wrong somewhere. So many years have gone by. We've been to camps and services and meetings and dynamic preachers. It comes down to right what I'm speaking about right now. There must be a personal, individual connection with God. And when a person really has a revelation of this message, there will be a change in their personal lives. I tell you, friends, I'm very concerned and burdened. We don't want to ever get putting God in our box. We want to go to wherever God is and get in his box. We never want to get to the place that we are praying, God, bless my life, bless my my ministry, bless my family, bless my wife, bless my husband, just saying prayers. Get in my box. We need to go to God's box. What is your will? What is your desire? What is your direction? Hallelujah. God's trying to put a big circle around you. You run, you hide, you try to get away, you move out. And God's saying, where are you going? Why do you have that attitude? It's unsafe out there. You're running against my will. Well, Brother John, it's it's God's permissive will. And I'm doing this out of a burden, friends. But if you're not called to do that, you need to be very careful. Get into God's way of thinking. Get into God's way of of living our life. I say, God, give us Holy Ghost-filled lives. Can this church say amen to that? About half of you. I don't care if you got to go to the barn this afternoon. Or miss a meal. Give us born-again experiences. Can we go to that next one? Thank you. You've heard the message of what what time is it, sirs? Sirs, is this the time? Brother Branham preached it in Jeffersonville, 1962. Then he goes out in March here. We see 1963 and the seven angels appear to him. And he said, the voice said to him, turn it sideways. And he said, don't you see it there? It was Christ, the wigged one. The judgment. He was judging a generation. But to the bride, he brought a message. So we see now in March 17th through the 24th, 1963, God used Brother Branham to break the seven seals in Jeffersonville. But how many have forgotten, or maybe you know that it was on the Monday morning after 
The seventh seal that he spoke on Sunday night, he spoke 20 more minutes. That's part of that message. He actually didn't want them to release the seventh seal until he listened to it on the Monday. Then he went to a motel of, of the two brothers that had, were in charge of the making of the tapes. And he said, I don't want this message sent out the way that it is. And after listening to the tape, he instructed the brothers to stop the tape at a certain point. And that's in paragraph 261. Then he recorded 20 minutes, and then they ended the tape again. With, you can hear them singing at the end, Brother Branham is the one that wanted it that way. And they never released that final version until after 1966. And Brother Branham left the scene. And you can read all this in your Seven Seals book until they released the whole message. And on that Monday, you can hear Brother Branham speaking. This is some of the things that he said. We are grateful to God for what he has showed us. I've been sitting in the room up there for eight days. And the message that I have just got through explaining to you, many here will understand I promised that there was something going on spiritual all the time that I was sure you were missing it. And here's what it is. It's the absolute vindication of this interpretation of the scriptures being sin of God. This is part of the seventh seal. Brother Branham listens to the Sunday night service and then he records this. He said, I've been up in a room for eight days. He said, I wonder if many of you, I'm sure you were missing it, but here's what it is. It's the absolute vindication of this interpretation of the scriptures being sin of God. Because before we were even went into it, I left to go out west. The Lord showed me a vision one day about 10 o'clock one morning, and I come and explained it here that I had seen it and didn't know what it was. It was a constellation of seven angels. We'll remember that. You'll get it on the tape called, What Time Is It, Sirs? Well, now that is exactly what you're seeing now. It was Christ coming. It was the Word coming. It was Him announcing that what I've said publicly now privately must happen for individuals. And within a few years, He was gone off the scene. Is that true? Something publicly was happening. But how many people wanted a private interview with Brother Branham. Oh, they'd wait for a year. I have the quotes here where Brother Branham talked about these things about up to a year. They'd wait for a private interview. Well, if I get to get a private interview with a prophet. And then in one message he says, who here would uh, want to have an interview? And, and, he said, and so many raised their hand. He said, well, who does it? He said, you just get in contact with Billy and just a minute of his time, just... And they would maybe be given 30 minutes of time. They wanted a private. I want some personal time with the prophet. I think that's the de same desire Job had. Oh, if I only knew where he lived, I could go up to his house and talk to the Lord. Today, if I could just go up to his house and talk to the Lord and share my burdens and really lay it all out there and... Have him talk to me privately. And we have these burdens and we have these things that we go through and there's questions that people have. I brought you to the seventh seal because later in that year in Christ is the mystery, Brother Branham refers back to it and talks about how 
the coming of the Lord and how it's a mystery. It's a secret. Nobody knew nothing about it. Even the angels didn't understand. They wanted to know when he would come. But it's the coming of the Lord. That's one thing he hasn't revealed yet of how he will come and when he will come. And that's where so many get it. The seventh seal isn't open because they say, well, hey, well, no man knows the day nor hour. And they cut it off and, and they say, see, the seventh seal isn't open. But the bride believes all seven seals has been broken. Right. Do we believe that? But that's where some have gone off here and some have gone off there. Some have went over the years on these doctrines and they made great camps. Till finally, there would be a generation that would say, I'm not interested in the camps. I'm not interested in just the church only. I want Jesus in my life. Not just a certain preacher. Oh, I've got his cell phone number. I'll text him now. I'll WhatsApp him. I'll send him an email. God wants you as a person. How many believe that? But how many also know that we are to be God with skin on him now? About 5% of you. How many know that we're to be God with skin on? Like the little boy. It's raining and my wife loves thunder and lightning. If you want to blame anybody, just blame her for the weather yesterday and this morning. because She loves the lightning and the thunder and the rain coming down like we had. It's our vacation, so... God answered her prayers. Amen. <laughs> Give you the desires of your heart. What was I going to say there? <laughs> but people over the years, they, they thought it was in this, and they thought it was in that, and they thought it was in this. Thank you. And the little boy, he said, the mommy said, we're believers, we're Christians. You're just going up to your bed and go to, go to sleep. Jesus is with us. But mama, sometimes I know those things, but I want, G- I want a God with skin on him. Come up here, Mama. And sometimes, friends, we need more than just quotes and quoting things and pointing somewhere else. We need to have enough Jesus about us to be able to say, I've got some wine. I've got some oil. I've got Jesus inside of me. God don't never let us get so cold and indifferent. But what we can still be God with skin on him. Can you imagine coming to church and not getting hardly nothing out of it, but knowing that you're here for someone else? Maybe there's somebody here that really needs a personal God, and you get under a burden, you actually pray and seek God. God, what are you going to do? And God lets you be dry and not receive much, but somebody else is just soaking it in, pulling it in. I pray God give that person something today. I, I know that I've almost been an hour and a half. That's a long time. But we'd love for someone to just reach out and touch the Lord. Maybe it's a mother. Maybe it's a husband. It could be an elder in this church, a deacon, or even a minister. We can get so busy serving, giving, pouring out, being in our positions that 
But we realize, I need God more in my life. I want to encourage you today, find an altar somewhere. Find a personal place where you can talk to Jesus. And Jesus can talk back to you. I believe a person that, can I just take a couple more minutes? A person that really knows God in Revelation doesn't become all haughty and puffed up. I believe it doesn't cause you to think that you know it all and you're better than somebody else. In fact, quite the contrary. If you really know Jesus, it should make you more humble, little. Hello? I just feel little. You're finally getting somewhere when you feel little. When you feel like that you're easy to be entreated and you're approachable, where you can go and reach to someone that's lower and reach out and help them. I was in our winter camp just a few weeks ago. Tonight I'll speak more about that with our young people. And I was listening to the preaching and I thought, here we have Thursday, Friday, and by Saturday I begin to think of this. Do you know what God is doing? It's like having a plant. And God is driving down a little stake by the plants. And then he's getting out some little twine or a little rubber or something to tie onto that plant. Do you all know what that's like, you that have a garden? And you plant tomatoes or you plant something, carrots or whatever it is. Maybe not carrots, but something else. And you put a little stake down there. Well, this is real spiritual, but I'm thinking of this while the preacher's preaching. It's called inspiration. I thought, God, what are you doing to our young people? God has the time to labor with us and love them and entreat them. I thought of a little plant stake that you plant, hit down beside of a plant and put a little piece of rope around and tie onto that so it can grow straight. It's like a guide. It's like something that I'm here to assist you. I'm not you. And I believe one day you're going to grow stronger. And when you grow stronger, you're not going to need this always around. And say, what are you doing talking like this? I'm just around. I'm just here beside of you to guide. Let's go. You can do this. Say, man. What are you all screaming? What are you having all these meetings and camps for? We're just here to assist you. We're just here to guide you. My, your instruments are kind of weird. You're, you're saying it a certain way. You're talking about it in a certain way. Do you know what God's doing? He's just putting things by your pathway at this season of your life to let you know that He cares. I'm with you. So stop looking at the things around you. What are you doing? And come on, Dad. Come on, Mom. No. Come on, preacher. Couldn't you have just said that in 30 minutes? Well, maybe someone else could have. But God's just putting down a stake next to you saying, I understand what you're going through. And I'm just here, but you're going to grow up. 
one day, bride tree. You're going to grow up. God has a vision. God has a plan. Aren't you happy for the guides of your life? Those that are called to be a strength giver. They're not you. They don't think like you. You're not like them. God's made you special. I really feel like that's what we're called to do, moms, dads, and elders. We are here to help and assist and guide the believers. I think we ought to be very careful and cautious. I know I am to keep damning people to hell, just damning their souls to hell. Oh, they're not going to be saved or they don't even have a chance. I think we ought to be very careful about that. Do you agree? Just all that church of these people, there's no chance for that person. That's not the way God dealt with you. That's not how he dealt with you older ones. Come on. Have we got so older in the message you forgot how stubborn you was? How hard-headed? We go so long as a person, everything was rosy and nice and, oh, we didn't do that. Yes, you did. You were rebellious. But God, rich in mercy, looked beyond all of that and gave you what you have need of. But we're in another season. We're in another time. There's people all around us that need help to repair their altars. Repair. Build up. God, make it more personal. Help us to close this service. I don't want it just to be someone else was healed and hear a testimony. There's times when you need a healer and you need to say what they did for them. I need a healer. Where you can say, he's my healer. Amen. I'm speaking about a personal savior. Where Brother Branham said in Power of Transformation, you that's out on the broadcast, I want you to receive Christ out there as your personal Savior. Sorry, that's the answer of my wife's prayers. Amen. I even made a plan and a reservation for Mexico. And I canceled it. We had to be standing right here today. Not on some beach all alone with my wife. I'm called to be standing right here as a voice to you. Encouraging you, waving you as a person to the personal altar. I think we can look to the person to the right or left or look to our families and say, what can we do to help another person repair their altar? Because I don't want to be here a year later, five years, God forbid, 20 years. There's a lot of repairing that can go on. Satan has caused great damage. But I believe we're called together as body and as believers to edify one another, strengthen one another. I tell you, there used to be a time in your life when God was dealing with you. You cried, you wept. You just were so sensitive to God. It just services would come and you would just weep and cry. and you, you would just, 
You wanted to linger. You want. It was just like God's presence was all around you. You'd stay sitting in the church till after all the musicians had gone. People had left. People's already eating subways and getting ready to go to the evening service. And you're just still sitting there under the impact of the word. You're you're just like quivering, shaking like this. You know what that is? It's an altar. God had made a way for you. And it wasn't a public show. It was for you. You just made a mess of things. You, you cried, you squalled, you didn't care about your friend and how do I look and am I cool looking? Can we take a selfie? Goodness, you are such in a shamble. I know right where I'm standing right now. There's a need in the message for a restoration of the altar. We've got to the place we just want to hear sermons and go out and hear sermons and we've gone so long and matured. All the years that's gone by to where you have children growing up and you've got grandchildren, they need the same experience you had, Daddy and Mommy. They need the same God, just as fresh and new. Are we giving them a cracked, old, formal, just receive it as, you know, just receive, just believe the message? Is that what you're saying to them? To where they're just going to their rooms. Now they got their iPhone, their Android, their computer, their whatever. Satan has made it so at our fingertips of communication, yet it's so impersonal. When God is just the opposite, he's personal. Where a person says, that's my God. He's my deliverer. You say, I've got things in my life. I need a deliverer. He's my help. He's my joy. He's my Lord. That's my husband. You're talking about my prophet. Come on, friends. We've raised a generation. That's what my daddy believes. That's what our church, how they believe at our church. When it ought to be, that's what it says in the Bible. Say, but I don't have that revelation. You can ask God for it. You can ask God to say, God, give me that revelation. Let's end with this. Brother Bradham talked about we have all these rooms in our houses and our doors and we have a private life. And he said, you'll let God go so far and the Holy Ghost go so far, but don't get into my private life. That's my private life. Don't go there. You can talk about a lot of things, but don't come into my private life. And Brother Branham said, you'll never get the lordship of Jesus doing that. He'll just turn right around and walk out the door. He said, what would you do in a case like that if somebody went to a home and they said, stand here at the door and just state your business? He said, you'd say thank you and turn out the door. He said, so would Jesus. He said, that's the reason the church is left sitting cold, just the way it is. He said, don't ever let the full gospel businessmen ever get to that stage. Say, what stage are you talking about where Jesus can come in so far into our music, into our church, into our families, but don't get into our private life? 
I woke up this week listening to a message, God in Simplicity in New Mexico in April, right after the seals. And Brother Branham said, the only thing you just opened up a little bit and said, come on inside and stand here, but don't go around and fool with my private life. And Brother Branham said, he wants you. He wants all of you. He wants every compartment in your heart. He wants your private life. Can I say it like this? He wants your private life. He wants all of your life. He wants to be your Lord. Lord is ownership. He wants to own you so he can guide you and direct you and take you and use you. Are you willing to do that? If you are, he's wanting to come in or you wouldn't be standing there. So now is the hour for you to receive it. This very hour, you could receive the personal God. It could just go into another room. Can we go? Can we go? I enjoy the church. That's the kitchen. I enjoy the parlor that we can talk. My, it's so deeper. It's been nice knowing you. But we've come up to another door now. And that's the bedroom that's not for the public. The kitchen is public. The parlor is public. But the bedroom is the third room. And I'm encouraging every person in this service. If if you're on the outside looking in, move on into the third room. Who would just raise your hand and say, by the grace of God, I live in that room, the third room. God's revealed that. What would you say to somebody else today that could be in this service or after this service that's on the outside? What are you going to say to them? Come on in. But it's not going to be you and them, them and you. It's going to be God and them. You're actually encouraging them to go in there. and That's where people get all red-faced. They get all ashamed. It gets quiet. But today, if you're on the outside, knowing you need to go in there, we're encouraging you, go all the way. Then can I say you that are in that inner room, we need to live more from the inner room. We need to live more from that place. If you're really on the inside looking out, we need to live from that place more. And we need to remember that just because we're in that third room or the soul room does not do away with the other two rooms. We still have a body. We still have a spirit. And our private life will become public. So you say, Brother John, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My public life, it's all in my heart. It's... God knows my heart. He knows your heart. But if you have him privately, it'll become public. That goes for the positive and it goes for the negative. If there's movies and extreme sport things and you're just over and and, and I've got those things in my notes because I know what I'm talking about. Wrong music, things going on privately in your life. Say nobody knows and... There will come a time it becomes public. So the best time to deal with it is right now. And say, God, come into my personal life. 
Do we all agree? Yeah. You say, brother, I've got everybody hoodwinked. Nobody knows. And you might, you might be right. But you don't realize it's coming out in your attitude. It's coming out in your words. What is private becomes public. So I think it's a good time to be honest and say, God, I want to repair the personal part of my life. And it's not everybody else. It's me. I need prayer. I need to get more with God. Brother, I just want to be honest with you. I could be closer to Jesus. And if everyone started moving in that direction, it would stop a lot of nonsense. It would stop a lot of things that go on that cause us so much trouble. If all of us just kept pulling, and tonight we're going to go into that, the oil and the wine. Hurt not the oil and the wine. You can take their health, you can take their wealth, you can take their friends, but you can't take the Holy Ghost, and you can't take it when they're stimulated by the Word. As we bow our heads right now. Be it unto me, Lord, according to your word. Lord, I might be in the crowd. I might be in the church. But it's when I can gather myself and be honest with the Lord Jesus. And I can talk personal. I can talk privately with the Lord. Those are very valuable moments. Those are very sacred sands. Those are experiences that we need more of in the message and in our churches and in our family altars. We need more family altars. We need more marriage altars where men and women humble themselves to the scripture or to just a few minutes of a message. My wife and I do it. We've gone through messages, the Hebrews book, the adoption series, the seven seals we're in again now. We don't listen to an hour, two hours. It's maybe 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there. We might go 30 or 35. It's time together. It's a time in the Word. We're not watching a movie together. We're not running around. We, it's time to turn off your phone. It's a time to not answer the call that's calling you from there and there. It's a time to just get alone in your marriage and say, we need a marriage altar. We need a family altar. Even in the churches, I found as the years gone by, it's almost like the altar has become a shunned place to go. It's almost like a stigma. It's like I said earlier. That's why I said it. We need to stop thinking that just because someone goes to the altar that they're backslid. Sometimes they just want to get out of the normal and get out of the average and say, God, I just want a time of prayer. Maybe do some of you good tonight before the meeting. Just, maybe you're so much in a rut, you just do it a certain way, but you like to slip out and come forward and just for maybe five minutes or ten minutes. You know, if Brother Daniel cross that's already going to the airport now could have that kind of a memory about his daddy I wonder what kind of memories we're giving our children I wonder what kind of things we're sending to our wives and what we're listening to with our wives 
Some of us just need to stop the nonsense and the fussing and say we need more of Jesus. Sister, you can play something. I believe in the gifts here in this church that God lays something on your heart. I believe it's good. How many would just say, God, I'm making my way to my personal altar. I'm walking. I'm lifting up a stone. I'm lifting up this piece of wood here. God bless you. Maybe some are guilty of being in the false gods of Baal and there's too much false things in your life and you need to say, Brother John, I need help taking down this certain thing, this thing over here. I need the Lord to consume it and burn it up. I realize I'm so far down the road with this attitude and feeling it's not right. Why don't you lay that up on the altar, brother? Sister, what's it going to take for us to realize we need those old-fashioned times again? You might think it's juvenile, but when Brother John heard those voices the other day of those men and women crying out, calling out their last recorded words, I was so smitten, I began to weep. I fell right on my knees in my office. I said, oh, God. That's when you're not focused on somebody else's sins or their little hinder parts. It's like, God, help me. And I'm just getting ready to go in front of hundreds of your people. Help us! Not knowing in a few minutes there would be a man in our own area that within minutes was going to be speaking to his wife for the last time. And he was going to be gone. I thought, God, help us, Lord, as I, the news came to me within hours. God, help us. I want my last words to be of mercy and grace. I love my last sermon to be one where someone was sensitive to God in that meeting to make footsteps to a personal place. Wouldn't you like that for yourself? Don't you want to be that kind of believer that people want what you've got? Maybe you've been guilty of handing them a drug or a smoke or a filthy magazine or maybe you're guilty of texting gossip or being a person that's you're just so embarrassed. You, you just feel like wiping everything clean and starting all over. Just deleting this account, deleting that, shooting that CD, emptying that. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe somebody needs to say, I've been sorry. And I'm, I've, if I've offended you, if I've hurt you in any way, I'm sorry. There were people that were called to move out the rocks and the logs on, on the way to the cities of refuge. That was their calling, was to move out logs and rocks so that people could run to the city of refuge so that the way was more plain for them. Not complex and difficult. 
but just saying, Lord Jesus, if I could move a rock for somebody. Brother over there, can I help you move that log? That beam, that little mode in our eye that we can't see around. But maybe Elijah said, God, there's 7,000 people. There's other people around me that are desiring the same thing. And I, I thought I was the only person. I thought I was the only one that felt this way. And God opened your eyes and says, you know what? All the believers around you are like that. Lord, are you making a way this, this service for a personal God? Because maybe in the next few days, maybe in a couple weeks, God wants to use this assembly in another dynamic chapter to move out the logs and move out the rocks. But before you can help somebody else, it's got to be moved out of your own. You've got to have a personal experience before you can help someone else. Lead them to the door. Lead them to the bedroom and say, come on in, brother. Come on, sister. Go into that place. Jesus is beckoning to you. Come on into this secret place. It's not a public show. It's not for everybody else. It's for you and you alone and God. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, come to our addresses, come to our homes, come to our marriages. Come to Evening Light Tabernacle, a church that we dearly love. We're connected with them almost every single meeting. We participate with them from another place, from another realm. We're able to connect through and we have a love for them. But how so much greater the love of God for all of us to bring us in, to encircle us into his great economy and say, oh, for a personal place, a private life. Heavenly Father, take our lives today. This April 7th, hear the prayers of every heart. Answer the altar call of every individual that we'd be calling out. Meet them individually. Meet them privately. Let us be willing to tear down all the exterior, all the stuff, and just be real with one another. Help us to be willing to say, if I've been wrong, I want the Lord to show me. Help us to be willing to say to someone else, if I've hurt you or offended you, I need to be more sensitive. To me, Lord, that really shows that a person's got something deep. Help our ministers, help our musicians, help our deacons and our trustees. Help the Gator Patrol, help the counselors, help the elders, help the ones that have given up all of their Sundays for the last 30 years, 32 years, their Easter Sunday. And now this year we have it. So many want to come that within days it's already booked up in a waiting list. 
Can I come? Can I still come? Even up through yesterday hearing, can I come? Can I come? And the answer back was, you're going to have to let us know by tonight. Lord Jesus, have you made it so good for us and so easy for us that we've missed Jesus in all of it? To be continued. We go out in a few minutes, get a little refreshment and come back. Let us hear more about this oil and this wine if you would give us an afternoon service. Bring the atmosphere, God, of expectancy. Bring us to a place, Lord, where you can be more personal and we can be more personal to one another, Jesus, I ask you. May there be not one person in this whole area, in this church, in this community, in our families that do not see Jesus enough in our lives that on the day of judgment they look back across the bar and say, why didn't you tell us? Why? You could have been more real to us. Because today is the day to give our mercy and grace. I know then we'll want to give it. We'll want to say, Lord Jesus, get, can't you just bring them in? Can't you allow them? Can't you? Do you need a cup of cold water? Do you need a little way? Do you, what can we do? If it's teaching, we'll have a little teaching. If it's an altar service, let's have an altar service. If it's a prayer line, if it's a counselor just talking to a little girl that's off on the sidelines or a young man that seems a little distant. If it's a brother that's in the church, might seem like an elder, but little do we know there's things going on in his life. Maybe it's a sister that's the choir director. Maybe it's a deacon's wife or someone that's 30, 40 years, but she's just on the She's just a thread away from losing her mind. God, don't let us become so calloused and so far away with one another that we don't pick up on the little indicators. Someone right next to us is calling out for help. Would Jesus put on skin with somebody around me that I, I could answer my question? Lord, maybe we could pray like this this afternoon. Lord, if you could use us to influence another person closer to you, it would really help me in my walk with you to see that my life has reason and purpose. be somebody right in our own home or somebody on that chat group or somebody in the pew you might not have to look very far for God to answer your prayer you might just have to look in the mirror and say Jesus let me look beyond the facade and the mechanical devices and the building and the badger skin I want to go into that private place. I want to go into that place, secret place, 
where you can make it known to me personally. And my eyes can come open. I can say, oh, now I understand. Jesus, did you, was you seeing it that way all the time? I'm so sorry I hurt you. I've been living these last months and years so selfish. What can I do for somebody else? Can I do something? Oh, God, forgive us, Lord Jesus, if we've been like that Balaam's mule. We've been so stubborn, and Balaam was just hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. Can we be so stubborn, Lord, just to something that's not even doesn't even have a soul has to talk to us and say don't you see there's an angel standing right in front of you someone that doesn't even have a soul a little animal but God moving in nature said I've been faithful to you all these years there's an angel there's a messenger standing right in front of you saying don't go that way soften our hearts you'll make the rivers that are rushing and going quick to become still waters that we can kneel down in front of and put our hands down in and take up a refreshment it'll give us strength bless your name Jesus thank you Lord he said peace